You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Daniel Quinby. For more information on other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Thank you so much. Uh, seriously, it's always a highlight for my year when I get to speak here. It just so happened the last two summers, now three summers, I've gotten to preach here, and it's uh, just a huge highlight for me. When Drew calls me and he says, Daniel, I want you to come back, it's always a great day for me. So I just want to thank you guys for having me. I mean this when I say that your pastors are unique and they're very special. Like what you have here at this church is not normal uh, with a, or two pastors and a whole team who just loves Jesus so much. Every time I come here and, and I get to be a part of the worship, God just breaks my heart again because the presence of God is so thick here. It's really special what's happening here. So I just hope you know that, that God is doing something in Ames and that I believe that this is just the beginning, that I believe that revival is coming to this city. I believe that God's gonna do something through this church where healings are gonna uh, keep multiplying. People are gonna get saved. You're gonna see this room fill up to maximum capacity. You're gonna outgrow this room. I believe that. I believe someday you'll have to build a bigger building because you can't hold all the people. I just believe that. I believe that God is doing something here. And, and yeah, so Drew and Tony have both been just huge mentors for me. So I'm just thankful for you guys. And I could talk about you for uh, the whole 30 minutes, but I'm not gonna do that. So as I said, this is my third time speaking here. The first time I spoke was two summers ago and I preached on the power of God and his ability to do the impossible. And I shared last year that that sermon I was truly a prayer for me. It wasn't really something for you as much for me because we were in a season of praying to get pregnant and we weren't getting pregnant. I was just uh, believing as I preached that that God would do the impossible in our lives and help us get pregnant and we did and now we have a 10-month-old baby who's I think in the nursery. But yeah, praise Jesus for that. Although the kingdom starts small like a seed, over time as disciples do the hard work of prayer and expanding the kingdom, it grows strong into a big tree. I propose to you that the way that the kingdom expands like this is through disciples making disciples one by one. Over the last four years, we've seen a bit of this at the University of Northern Iowa, and we've gotten to see this parable come to life before our eyes as we started just a few years ago with a few people, and now we're on three different campuses with over 100 students. And we've gotten to watch students come to faith, get baptized in water, become small group leaders, and now step into full-time ministry, and we now have a team of six full-time workers on our campus. We started with just me. It's incredible to see what God can do when you have a dream in your heart, right? It's incredible to see what God can do as you do the hard work of laboring year after year, and I'm seeing that here as well. But if I'm honest with you, in the midst of these great victories, I've had some huge moments of discouragement throughout my journey over these four years. And one of those moments was on my, or on the annual Chi Alpha Spring Break mission trip this last spring. It's interesting because that week was one of the greatest weeks of our ministry up until that point, and we were going door to door sharing the gospel with the people of Trinidad, and people were being impacted. Our students were being activated for the mission of God in a way that I hadn't seen before. But in the background of these victories and these great things happening, the students did not know that I was going through a spiritual war in my head, in my heart. I was under spiritual attack, and I felt like I was suffocating. See, one of the most difficult things about doing ministry or, or being on the college campus and trying to proclaim Jesus is breaking through the increasingly secular, progressive, and post-Christian mindsets that students come into campus with. It can be difficult to minister in that context. As much as we have victories, 
It seems like sometimes we have some big defeats because of those mindsets. I'm sure you felt this at times in Ames. And, and during that trip, Satan was just lying to me all week long, trying to convince me that there will come a time where it's gonna be so secular that it's gonna be impossible to do ministry on a secular campus, and it's just gonna be me preaching to myself, essentially. He was lying to me, telling me, Daniel, you're not gonna see any salvations anymore. You're not, or Daniel, you're not gonna see baptisms. You're not gonna see any life change. I felt like saying, or Satan was saying, Daniel, you better enjoy the victories you're having now because you're not gonna see it soon. There's gonna come a time where you're just gonna waste away on the campus and students are gonna want nothing to do with God. As I listened to these lies, I began to worry that we're not gonna be able to reach the next generation unless we compromise the truth of God's word. As the week, on, or as the week went on and as I prayed and as I talked to friends like Pastor Kyle who was also on the trip about this war going on in my head, I began to suddenly feel like I could breathe again. God began replacing lies with truth. As I watched our students being activated for the mission of God, I became reassured that although we're going to face difficulty in the coming years, we will see kingdom growth despite this. I also felt that the Spirit said that this is gonna happen even as you preach the most unpopular truths. However, I do believe that God wanted to teach me something through that attack. There was some truth in Satan's lies. In the coming years, we're not going to be able to manufacture kingdom growth on our own strength. The only way that we're going to reach the next generation is if we get desperate for an authentic move of God. The answer to the difficulty of reaching our culture is not better apologetics or smoother worship services, and it's certainly not a compromised message. The answer is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in our day. Only the Holy Spirit will be able to break through the culture and light up students with the love of God. I believe that the church in America is in the midst of one of the greatest moments in our history. I believe that while our culture's decaying, our churches are struggling, and our own hearts are struggling to fight off the lure of sin, I believe that we're on the brink of something great. And church history tells us that this is true. It tells us that in moments where the mission of God seems hardest and things seem bleakest, that God moves most powerfully. These difficult moments create a desperation in the hearts of the saints and in the church, and it creates a sense of hopelessness in the culture that actually leads to an awakening. The first great awakening of the 18th century came out of a time when people were worried that the church was gonna close its doors. Great spiritual crisis led to great spiritual awakening. James Burns, in his classic book on revivals, draws a beautiful picture of this. He says that there are times in church history where it feels like the tide has gone out to sea, so to speak, and the, and the culture has decayed so much, and there's a bunch of exposed, washed-up sand, and the church seems dead. However, just as the tide is furthest out, it's bound to rush back in most powerfully. Decay precedes revival. That's what we've seen in church history. And I'm believing for this kind of tidal wave of revival in our generation where the authentic power of Jesus rushes over our communities and Jesus followers step into their kingdom identity and their kingdom authority. And the Apostle Paul had similar hopes for a church in Corinth. The church he helped start at Corinth had some serious struggles. It didn't take long for them to start decaying as a church. And in 1 Corinthians, we see a letter that Paul writes to this church and he's hopeful that the church could experience some type of spiritual awakening. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter two. And before we, 
Before we read this passage, it's important to understand the situation here in this city. See, Corinth was a particularly important city, but it was also morally bankrupt, and people often indulged in whatever desire that they had. And Paul writes this letter to them sometime after establishing the church, and in just a short amount of time, the church was being swept up into the tides of culture. They had welcomed in a spirit of division into their church, and they were arguing about which church leader to follow. They were taking one another to court. And there's also some serious sexual sin and idolatry in the church. And in 1 Corinthians 5, we see that it got so bad that there was a prominent church member sleeping with his stepmom and nobody was confronting him about it. Paul's primary concern that, that led him to write this letter was the deep pride within that church that valued outward appearance but did not value the authentic power of God. Paul was deeply troubled. Paul wanted the church in Corinth to not have a faith that, that rested on their own pride or abilities, but on the power of God. And he points to his own ministry as an example to how you can see the power of God flow in the church. I think his words here are going to be prophetic for our generation, and I think they're gonna encourage us and show us how we can see the power of God move in our generation. So let's read it. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my words were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Let's pray over that this morning. Jesus, I pray that this would come to life here in Ames. It already is, but God, I pray that even more so. God, I pray that what we're seeing now would just uh, be scratching the surface. God, I pray for, our, for my city in Cedar Falls that our city would see revival in our day. God, I pray for our nation that our nation would see a great awakening. God, I pray that each of us who are followers of you this morning would be a people who rest on your power and not on our own strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that I think Paul is trying to say to us this morning is this. Our own power is not enough to bring kingdom transformation. Just before chapter two, Paul talks about how God uses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And he uses what is weak to shame the strong, and no human being can boast in the presence of God. And then in verse one, he says this, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul is making the point that the church in Corinth was not planted because of his ability. It did not grow because of his strength or his good strategies. And I think this is important for us to remember today. Our abilities or proficiencies or strategies or strengths or ideas or anything we do on our own power cannot authentically bring transformation to a community or to our own hearts. If we can't bring transformation then, what can? Well, Paul gets at this in verse two. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. So the second thing this morning is the gospel is the only power that can bring kingdom transformation. In verse two, Paul points to what he did rely on. He did not rely on his own talents or abilities, but on the power of the gospel. And the gospel is simply the message of Jesus. It, it means good news. It's the fact that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly 
And then he died the death that each of us should have died. And then he rose from the grave declaring death defeated. So Paul said, I'm gonna know nothing among you except this message, except Jesus. I'm not gonna employ any other strategy other than proclaiming Jesus and him crucified. Jesus was his strategy and nothing else. In Romans chapter one, he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul knew that Jesus was the only hope for Corinth. His message is what changes hearts. His gospel is what changes cities and changes the world. This reminds me of a story of a girl named Bria who came to our Chi Alpha this last fall. She grew up in Mason City, Iowa, and grew up Mormon. And when she came to college, she was looking for a faith community, and, and she stumbled upon Chi Alpha. And when she came to one of our Chi, the Chi Alpha services, she said that she sensed something different that she never felt before. And she sensed the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit moving through worship, through the preaching, and even through the way that we treated one another. She put her faith in Jesus, and she renounced the teachings of the Mormon church. I asked her, do you renounce the teachings of the Mormon church? She said, yes, and then I baptized her in water. That's what Jesus does. It doesn't matter what people come in with. I don't care what people come in with in these doors or in our communities. God can change the furthest heart. The gospel is enough to change people. Jesus alone can change our own hearts our campuses and our communities. It doesn't matter how much money we have or how great a strategies we employ or how hard we work. I don't believe any of us can authentically bring transformation on our own strength. Jesus, only Jesus, and proclaiming and demonstrating his gospel is the only way to authentically bring change. So the only person that can change our hearts and communities is, is Jesus and his gospel, but the question remains, how do we position ourselves in such a way to access this gospel power and to see it flow through us? In other words, how do we bring this kingdom power to our communities? Well, in verse three, Paul says, or Paul says this. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So counterculture. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul did not have it all together. If we wanna see the kingdom power flow through us, I believe we need to be desperately weak before God. I love Paul's approach. He didn't do things on his own strength. He didn't try to act sharp or act like he had everything together. Instead, he emptied himself daily of his own pride and allowed God to move through him. God loves to use humble people he doesn't want you to have it all together. He wants you to be desperate and empty before him and say, Jesus, I need you. If you don't show up, it's all for nothing. That's why God moved through Paul. In verse 17, in chapter one, it says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of, emptied of its power. Paul is the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. He's the best, hands down, there's no arguing about it. But he did not speak with eloquent words of wisdom. That convicts me. It's not about my words. It's about the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit showing up. These are the kinds of people that God loves to use. God used Moses to free the Israelites from the greatest empire in his day, even though he had a stutter. Come on, that's encouraging to me. 
God used Abraham and Sarah to be the father and, and mother of a nation, even though they didn't have children until they were 90-something years old. God used David to be the great king of Israel, even though he was smaller than all of his brothers. God used Paul, even though he murdered Christians before he came to faith in Christ. God loves to use the humble. Humility is a magnet for the power of God. There's no way around it. Over the last few years, we've been able to see God move powerfully through students who are not the most gifted or talented, but are desperately relying upon the power of God to empower them. There's one student, if you throw out the picture here, his name's Ryan. And when I first met him, honestly, we had a meeting in the union, and it was the most awkward hour of my life. I'm not gonna lie to you. And I would say that to his face, so. He, like, he wouldn't look me in the eye. He couldn't form complete sentences, it seemed like, and he's probably just nervous, but, but it was awkward. And then in that meeting, I felt like the Lord wanted me to say to him, I prophesied over him, I said, Ryan, I just believe that you're gonna be sitting in this spot next year leading men to Christ. I believe that. And he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> he's told me since, and he thought I was a nut. But, but that year, he gave his heart to Jesus, so he hadn't actually been a Christian really yet. He had been in the church, but not really following Jesus and then he became a small group leader with Chi Alpha. And then, by faith, he came on the mission trip last year. And, and that picture's in Trinidad. And, and for someone who really has a tough time talking to people he don't know and has a tough time or talking to, to people he does know, he went door to door and boldly shared the gospel of Jesus. And it was incredible as the Trinidad people would come back with him and say, wow, Ryan did awesome tonight. He was sharing his faith. He was being bold. And that's actually us sitting after the first night talking about that. And I said to him, I said these exact words, I said, Ryan, the reason God's using you is because you're humble before him, you're weak, and you're just relying upon him. I said, if you keep doing that, God's gonna keep blessing you and keep working through you. It's an incredible night for him. It's it's truly an incredible night for me, too. I believe that God is looking for a generation of Ryans who are humble and weak and who will acknowledge that they cannot do things on their own strength, but they step out in faith, trusting God to move through them. I believe God is looking for people who will say no to being obsessed with self. Can I say it again? God is looking for a people who will say no to being obsessed with self and having it all together. I wanna say something about social media right now, but I don't know if I should. I just think it's insane that we have profiles dedicated to ourselves. I have one too, in case I'm not judging you. But we update our stories every 10 minutes with a new thing we're doing. How can we focus on Jesus when we're so focused on ourselves all the time? That's it, that's all I'm gonna say, okay, but. (laughs) I believe that Jesus is looking for a generation who's not obsessed with self, but instead they're obsessed with the power and presence of Jesus. They're obsessed with prayer, they're obsessed with seeking the heart of God, and I'm seeing that in this place. I believe God's looking for a generation who's gonna reject the temptation to rely on our own strength and to have everything together, and instead rely on the power of the Spirit in everything we do. The foundation for accessing the power of the Holy Spirit is weakness and humility every single time. But there's another piece to this, all right? Verse four and five. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. If we wanna see kingdom power flow through us, we need to walk in the authority of Jesus. If we wanna walk in God's power, we can't just humble ourselves. We can't just get on our knees, that's not it. There's also comes a time when you have to get up off your knees 
If you're seeking God's heart with desperation, and then do what he tells you to do with boldness and authority. Paul did not think that humility was opposed to authority or weakness opposed to power. Instead, he viewed humility and weakness as the pathway through which we can access the authority and the power that God wants to flow through us. Paul modeled this. He was weak and humble. He was full of fear and trembling, but he always demonstrated the Holy Spirit. And he was able to do this because he knew that Jesus would be faithful to back his message up as he stepped out in faith. He knew that as he proclaimed this message that God would be faithful to move through him. He knew that the Holy Spirit loves to change hearts. He loves to demonstrate the gospel. He loves to bring transformation. Paul was not confident in himself, but he was confident in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God whose arm is not too short to save, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's who he's confident in, not himself. As carriers of this message, we should walk with the same authority that Paul did. Boldness was a distinguishing mark of those early preachers of the gospel. In chapter four of the book of Acts, it says this. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'm afraid that we're raising up a generation of church leaders and disciples who haven't been with Jesus. And this is why we're so weak in the sense of not walking in authority. I'm not talking about the humble. I'm talking about when we try to do church but we see no transformation. That's what I'm talking about. But this is our inheritance, to be with Jesus and then to walk out of that with boldness and authority and see transformation happen. These disciples are our fathers. And we're called to walk in their same anointing. It doesn't matter how unqualified we feel because we don't have any strength on our own anyways and neither did they. Our confidence comes from Jesus, not ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says this, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. God is looking for a generation of people who are humble before him, but people who are also tremendously confident in the power of the Holy Spirit to back them up. Jesus has given you authority. He's given me authority, and it's about time we carry out his mission. It's about time we start walking in that authority. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's authority that's been given to us through Jesus. Now go, or go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When I think about walking with this authority and making disciples, I can't help but think of Forrest Estrum, who was a freshman last year at UNI, if you throw up the picture here. So I met Forrest at the beginning of the school year last year, around this time, we were playing basketball in the gym and we met there. I don't think he liked me very much, probably because I stunk, but so anyways, we met, he ended up coming to Chi Alpha and, uh, and Forrest, during the first service, rededicated his heart to Jesus. He was just in tears as the as God was moving in his heart. The thing I love about Forrest is, is he didn't just experience that. He then went and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then over winter break, he went back home to Des Moines where he's from. And he began sharing Jesus with his friends from high school. And through his bold witnessing, the guy that he's hugging there gave his heart to Jesus. And he came to our winter conference. He's not in Kyle, but he comes to our winter conference so he can get baptized and be a part of Kyle for a weekend. 
And I got to baptize Noah because of Forrest's boldness and authority. And now he's been back home all summer and he, there's actually one friend from his high school who says he wants to come to you and I just to be part of Chi Alpha. This is our inheritance. I believe that this power is available to each one of us. I believe that every single believer has an authority that's been purchased for us. And we have a mandate to walk in the footsteps of Christ and be humble, but at the same time, incredibly bold as we bring the gospel message to our communities. However, I believe that there's many of us, including myself, who aren't walking in this confidence like we should. This is probably because we focus on ourselves too much. I believe God wants to raise up a generation that just fix their eyes on him and allow him to flow through them. They're not looking at themselves. They're looking at the strength of Jesus. They're looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not looking at themselves, but they're letting God do through them what he wants to. But it starts with getting with Jesus, right? We have to be with him. I believe it. As we get with Jesus, we're gonna receive this authority and bring a kingdom that does not consist in talk or strategy or money or good services or nothing like that, but in the power of God. If you get one thing this morning, I want you to get this. If we wanna see the authentic power of the kingdom in our day, we have to be desperate and weak and at the same time, bold and confident. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what your story is but I know that Jesus wants to use you in your spheres of influence. Jesus wants to use you to bring transformation to your workplace and to your family and to your friends. He wants to use you to bring transformation to this city and to this campus. He wants you to be a vessel that he can use to change the nations. He wants to bring the kingdom to earth through the way you live your life. I believe you're here for a reason. I believe that God has a purpose for you and that purpose is not for yourself but for God to move through you and for you to help reconcile the nations to Jesus through being humble and bold at the same time. I believe nothing we can do can earn God's power or love. We're weak on our own. Our only hope to see the power of God in our day is to seek him desperately in prayer and wait on him, just like in Acts chapter two, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, and to give us power. God wants to fill us and then have us go out of the upper room and proclaim the gospel to the nations, plant churches all over the place and raise up disciples. That's our inheritance, just as the early church did. I believe that God is gonna do that in the state of Iowa specifically over the next few decades. I really believe that. I believe God is looking for a generation of people to rise up, to take their place in the kingdom and to go and plant the message of the gospel in every community that needs it. I believe that. If we can do this, if we can get desperate before Jesus, I believe that kingdom power is gonna flow. As the world and the culture decays, the power of the gospel will flow as we get desperate and bold. As the church in America struggles, a new revitalized church is going to spring forth and God will make a river in the wasteland, as it says in Isaiah. God is gonna do a new thing. Can we be that people this morning? who get desperate for Jesus to move, who don't rely on our own strength, we rely on the power of God and people who walk in authority. I believe that's our inheritance. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit just as you did in Acts chapter two. God, we believe you didn't just wanna do it then, you wanna do it now. 
God, I pray that you'd fill us with boldness from on high, with power from on high. God, I pray that we would not rely on our own strength. God, I pray that you'd raise up a generation of church leaders and disciples who desperately rely upon you. Jesus, we need you in our day. We need you, God. Our culture is decaying around us. Our churches are struggling. We need you to fill us with power. Jesus, we need you. God, do a new thing. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.